This is Radio Reason, broadcasting the work of the Padre O'Donnell Socialist Republican Forum over the internet. Today we're going to hear an interview conducted by our correspondent Patricia Campbell as she interviews American political activist Matt Siegfried. They discuss the momentous events recently happening around the Black Lives Matter protests resulting from the murder of George Floyd. Also, they discuss the difficult subject of racism among the Irish-American population. As the Black Lives Matter movement gathers momentum in the US and indeed globally, Radio Reason is delighted to speak with Matt Siegfried. Matt is a historian, author and activist. He lives in Ypsilanti, state of Michigan. A few months ago, Matt wrote... Think of how bleak 1859 looked to revolutionaries then. Black codes, slavery's continual expansion, the Fugitive Slave Act, a stalemate in Kansas, Dred Scott, failure at Harper's Ferry, Douglas had to leave the country. He made the point that a few years later, and what was utterly unimaginable, in 1859, a victorious war against chattel slavery succeeded. He said no one would have allowed themselves to think that was possible or even a hope. And yet it came. And it came because of the culmination of work of thousands the previous decades. He wrote, when I am down, I think 1859. I think that was very powerful. I remember reading that at the time, Matt. And how do you feel today? (laughs) Well, um, we're not... I feel that things move quickly and uh, history um, doesn't work the way we often think it does. And um, what we're seeing now is what we saw then and what we're seeing is not just an explosion, spontaneous explosion, but culminations of struggle, culminations of feeling, culminations of anxieties. And in the same way that uh, shifts happened so dramatically in the 1860s, not just in activities, but in thinking, we're seeing those shifts happen dramatically now in the United States. So while it's not analogous to the Civil War, not yet anyway, I think what we're seeing is history catching up with itself in a certain sense. And um, we're also seeing the real life reaction to decisions made around not just racism and the economy, 
but coronavirus in the last months. Yes. So yes. It's we're seeing we're seeing the coming together of disparate struggles, the same way the Civil War was, uh, into a codification of sides and a codification of thinking and um, a sense like the Civil War that we cannot continue the way we have. And uh, so I was deeply, deeply soured on the future just four weeks ago. And now I have great hope. Yes, Matt, it, it seems like the pendant has just swung from one extreme to the other because you are based in Ypsilanti and you were saying that 100 people died. Now, this is a small town. Yes. It's about the size of our local town in County Tyrone, Dungannon. Yes. And I'm just could imagine that if a hundred people within in your community had died, the fear that must have existed in those communities. And of course, um, yeah, it's a largely uh, black community yes. and great poverty and great social disadvantage. And I'm just wondering, was that... Did that unleash the anger? I mean, it's not just about... It's bigger than the cop who used the what they call the Israeli knee hold. Yes. That's yeah. what it's called. It's, it's bigger than that. And I'm just wondering, do you think that people are really angry about what happened in the COVID, at the height of the COVID pandemic? Yes, and disproportionate in disadvantaged communities. Absolutely, the the county I live in is called Washtenaw County in the state of Michigan, just west of Detroit, right? Just 25, 30 minutes west of Detroit, and our county is about 14 percent African American, and 40 percent of the people who died are African American. So it there's it's undeniable that the disease so far has uh, disproportionately affected black and brown and poor communities, and especially black poor communities. And one of the things I think is important to think about COVID is that people didn't lose their fear of it. They're still afraid of it, and they're yeah. acting anyway, and they're acting anyway. And, and yet, that's the important thing. People are, you know, people wear their masks to demos largely. People are afraid. People know that know that they might get uh, this virus by going out to these demonstrations, and they're going anyway. And yeah, that's yeah. how unbearable life has become for Americans. That <laughs> that that the, the the prospect of death at a demonstration is better than the prospect of death in your bed at home. And uh, and I think that people are didn't lose their fear. Uh, it's just they're af more afraid of other things, and um, and so it's all come together. I think it's undeniable that uh, COVID uh, played a part in in that. One of the things, interesting ways that COVID played a part in it, is that uh, we saw how quickly and dramatically 
our lives changed. You know, I've been calling for a general strike <laughs> since I was 15. <laughs> and and the demonstration and COVID immediately shut down the economy. So things that were impossible, you can't shut down the economy. Well, the economy did shut down. Impossible that you can't close every bar and restaurant. And it, and it did happen. And not, you know, and then when it did happen, you also see like emissions go down and the air got better. And so we were told it was impossible to do that. And we did it in a day. Right. And so what was impossible becomes possible in all kinds of spheres, not just around lockdowns around covid and the economy, but everything. Uh, so you've got a combination of both desperation and the sense of possibility. And so that's come together with a real historic um, culmination of anger and frustration uh, to unleash what is an uprising in the United States. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. What, this is not a riot, this is an uprising. Yeah, yeah. but I think it looks like there's, it's, a global awareness as well, right. and it's very—it's a very diverse crowd. It's mostly young people. Uh, it's diverse in terms of race, and it, it's to me, it's like there's a new awareness. But what's really interesting, Matt, is. Um, Angela Davis was interviewed on Channel 4 News this evening here in Ireland. Mm -hmm. and, um, she could get interviewed in Ireland, but not in the United States on the news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but she talked about um, police defunding and she talked about how uh, a council in Minneapolis had voted in favour to look at public safety models. Yes. And it's not just about dis disarming or dismantling or disbanding the police. It's about alternative models to help communities rather than calling for tougher sentences and, and criminalizing social problems. Right. I think that, I think that's a very interesting um, concept as well in all of this. I agree. And I think that it's because um, one of the things that, again, this is about history. <clears throat> it's about history as much as the present. And um, it's that the police are not an institution. Um, the, the police are an institution historically of white supremacy, slaveholding, and of big business. And uh, they they began that way um, in America. I, I know that um, Robert Peel brought his ideas about policing to create the Metropolitan Police Force in London based on... Um, the occupation of Ireland, based on his experiences in Ireland. So policing, even in Britain, uh, has a direct relationship to the policing of oppressed people, to the policing of exploited people, to colonization, to racism. And that's that's true around the world. 
policing is not sort of a natural part of our societies. Policing, the way we think about it, came about historically defined in capitalism and imperialism and racism. And it's historically defined by its mission to protect those things, right? And so one of the things we're seeing is that people are reacting to the police, not just in terms of police brutality or police overreach or police are acting bad, but police are set up to, to oppress us. And so it's not about we want to fiddle with this or that funding or this or that training program. We want to get rid of that oppressive system whose roots are in slavery. And so for many people, the struggle against the police in the United States is a struggle to finish the fight against slavery. And, uh, and I think that what we're seeing, we started that quote with 1859, we're literally seeing a continuation of the struggle that people were engaged in in 1859. And you could draw a fairly direct line. Right. And yeah. so I think that people are grappling not just with police overreach, but with the nature of our society, which needs those police to begin with. Yes. And Angela Davis did say it was lynching under the code of the law. Yes. So, yes. Um, but the other thing is, Matt, um, Monaghan had a rally against racism and direct provision at the weekend. Yes. Kind of County Monaghan in Ireland, south of the border. But um, you had said you had talked about the rally in Ipsy. Yes. How you saw the similarities between the two rallies. Yes. And of course, you've been to visit Monaghan, so you and indeed your roots are from. County Tyrone, or some of your roots are from County Tyrone. Yes, my grandmother's family from Ochnacloy Baligali area. Yes, the good fellas. Yes. Yes. So I'm just wondering um, how, how you felt about that, you know, the similarities you talked about, you know, African, um, American Africans and the Irish having great similarities in terms of struggle. Yes. I, I think, you know, all you need to do is drive through Minneapolis right now and look at the murals on the sides of the buildings, and you would feel like you were at home in Belfast, Patricia. Uh, the images are similar. The names and faces of young people cut down by forces of the state um, are in the memories of these communities. People, you know, we, we don't remember all of the names of the people killed by police um, who are viewed as an occupying army in many black communities. Um, but people in those communities remember, right? They're their parents, their grandparents, just like in Belfast and, and in Ireland. And so history um, lives in the community itself. Uh, and. Of course, there are similarities uh, about the struggle. There are differences as well. But one of the things I think is important to remember is often we talk about race, uh, looking at the Irish, uh, when they come to the United States. And there's a, a book written about how the Irish became white and, and those kinds of ideas. But one of the things I think is really important to understand, which we often forget, is that this, 
the same time that the United States was being colonized and settled, it's the same time that Ireland was being colonized and settled. The Elizabethan plantation was the same time. Yes. Often the same people doing it, right? So John Smith, who founded the Virginia colony, Jamestown, he learned his anti-native violence in the north of Ireland, uh, suppressing uh, the resistance uh, there. So there's a direct connection. Literally, the people who settled the United States and colonized it were the people who settled and colonized Ireland. But then there's an ideological um, uh, notion as well, and that's the notion of settler colonialism. And you will and you can see it in Israel, you can see it in the United States, you can see it in the loyalist population of the North, you can see it in the white racist population of Australia. And that is this sense of both being the master race at the same time that you are um, being oppressed, right? So you're, 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 or you're, um, uh, you're a victim. So the way that uh, the Israelis see themselves as the victim in that situation, white America sees itself also as the victim. At the same time, it, it sees itself as uh, the master race, or at least the racist part of white America, which might be the majority. And so that that there's similarities, not just in how people have reacted and been oppressed, but in the mindset and in the historiography of how we came to these situations. And um, if capitalism didn't need racism to divide the working class, it sure worked out that way for them. And the same way that the class in Ireland is divided between Protestant and Catholic is the same way that the class is divided here. And it doesn't mean that we ignore those divisions because those divisions come from real material divisions and real historical consequences. But it means that we have kind of a similar division in in our society that seems insurmountable. Um, But it's insurmountable because we still have imperialism, because we still have capitalism. We still have all the things that gave birth and protected and defined those ideas. Those are being remade all the time. So there are direct connections. When Bernadette was here in the late 60s, she talked about Irish America uh, being racist in Boston. And she said in this great quote, it's very sad to see your people oppressing your people, meaning she identified both with Irish America and saw black America as her people. And uh, and so there's a contentious relationship in America between Irish American and blacks uh, because of the police, uh, with many Irish joining the police department and policing black neighborhoods. But before that, black people and Irish people in the United States lived in the same ghettos. I mean, this was a long time ago now, but it's true. Uh, Black people and white people were, or Irish people were, in some of the most integrated communities in America before the race card, like the orange card, was played uh, to separate those people. So there are many, many um, uh, similarities. And also there is the solidarity of oppressed people. And when the Northern Ireland civil rights movements marched, they sang, we shall overcome. And the people who sang, we shall overcome, were inspired by the Irish rebellion of 1916 and 1919 to 21, right? So 
these things have a way of working themselves around uh, these different communities, and we take uh, we take part in a common struggle, even if it's um, differentiated by where we live and and our race and all of that kind of thing. And so there are lots of similarities. There are also differences. But I think the most important similarity is um, that historical connection to settlement, to imperialism, and to racism, which both the Irish and African-Americans and many other people in this the United States have faced. And, and if you can create a bond of resistance, you can overcome um, the divisions that the imperialists and the racists foster every day. Matt, thank you so much for speaking to us. Um, I, I live in hope that we can build a, a social movement that brings about change in communities and make people's lives better. I, I agree. And I think that that one of George Floyd's, what he was saying when they choked the light, life out of him is, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And that's what we all feel around this world right now, with the environmental crisis, with COVID, with the economic crisis, with racism, with war, with the right-wing neoliberal uh, lack of an alternative. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. So uh, us all saying that in unison is a, is a chance to breathe together. And, uh, and I, it gives me great hope as well, Patricia. And also... The 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 despair yes. that we feel and and that what we did feel during the height of of the pandemic. Yes. So let's hope that uh, we can build on this and and build a better world. Thank you, Matt. You're very welcome, Patricia. Thank you. You have been listening to Patricia Campbell speaking with Matt Siegfried on Radio Reason, broadcasting the work of the Padre O'Donnell Socialist Republican Forum.